<laughs> got to be yeah, got to be lively now, right? That'll so, be exactly where I start. Yeah. I'll cut from right there, and that'll be the beginning of the episode. So, like, this will be preamble time. I think we were lively enough last week. No, not last week. That was two weeks ago. Shit. No, we were pretty lively on the Dark Phoenix episode That's too. True. There was a lot of like bile <laughs> coming out. Yeah, which yeah. was I think it was good for. I think we got it's good. The, it was a purge. Got yeah. the poison out of the system, kind of a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is amazing because the poison needed to get out of the system after that. <laughs> experience we'll just say experience everybody heard the episode so they know what we thought no. <laughs> yeah. all right guys let's just get into this welcome back to dance robot dance this is our 152nd episode i'm mark i'll be leading you on this little journey through the end of the world i'm joined from seoul south korea by my brother paul so say hello good morning and i'm uh, also joined from atlanta by the motherfucker who got me new coke tim's here hi y'all yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm really excited about that new coke i just want to yeah Make sure that everybody knows. <laughs> That'll be coming up with me when I'm up a couple weeks from now. I guess we'll get it. Yeah, we'll, you'll get an in-person episode. At least two of us will be in person. Yeah, uh, yeah. We'll do it. We'll do a two-hander, or we'll get Chrissy to show up, or something like that. We'll do a an yeah. in the house one, or something. We'll see. We'll figure it out. We'll get. I'll get the dates and figure out what night's good for you, and we'll uh, we'll yeah. message Christy and see what happens. Worst comes to worst, we'll just let Alicia swear on the podcast for an hour. Yeah, times. make fun of us and yeah, yep. basically because <laughs> it's easy and fun. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> It'd be cool too because I can do like a live taste test of the new Coke in there and be like super disappointed by all this hype that I've been giving it, and then be like, oh yeah, this is it's basically just Pepsi, so that's cool. Yeah. I've heard I've heard it tastes more like Pepsi. I've also heard it tastes more like uh, Diet Coke. So I've we'll heard see. like I remember. I don't think I ever had it back in the day. I think I had like I remember having it because people were talking about it around me. Like I remember the conversation happening, but that's about it. Because we were like, how what year was that? 84, 85? 85, I think. That's why yes. they're doing it uh, for yeah. the Stranger Things tie-in this year, because this season is ni- summer of 1985 on Stranger Things. Is that Ooh. this weekend or next weekend? Uh, July 4th, I think, is when it, because it, like that's when this oh, it's the episode starts yeah. is on, I think, like the first episode is set on Independence Day, I believe. So yeah, I believe it drops on Independence Day. Well, that's cool, because I'm just excited to try the new Coke thing. Really. <laughs> That'd be times. New Stranger Things would be great too. Hopefully, they don't. They kind of resolve that little issue we had with it last year, and we get an awesome season again. So that'd be nice. Let's get into the news real quick. What do you say? Let's do that. Let's let's just do whatever we can to ignore what happened to Dance Robot Dance this week. Because oh, we want to talk about that at the top, or like <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of traumatized by one it. of our listeners. Yeah, one of our listeners has caused us deep and lasting trauma. Listeners, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Blake. <laughs> yeah, Blake. We should just call him out at this point. Well, like, it's on the Facebook page already. So It's on the Facebook page, exactly. Yeah. So if you go look at the post for our erotic fan fiction episode, which was episode 150, I don't know where it came up or how it came up, but I think somebody was talking about writing a fan fiction about me and Tim. Oh, it was Blake. I, well, it was Blake, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I, as an idiot, I was like, if you write it, I will read it on the podcast. <sighs> <laughs> and write it, he did. Yeah, and write it. He did. So if you go find that post, and if you want to read it, you can do that. We have a little surprise for you guys, hopefully, this week. I was going to read it myself, but I got about two paragraphs into it, and my stone brain just shut down. Like it couldn't <laughs> handle it. So, But somebody familiar to you has volunteered yes. to, uh, to to take that bullet. Someone with a lot of experience doing dramatic readings. Yeah, yeah which but... we're very excited about, actually, <laughs> but at the same time, not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
This is the definition of thanks. I hate it. Yeah, so, really, like just really. be warned right now. Yeah, it's real. It's real disturbing, especially if you're like on the Facebook page because you can clearly see what Tim and I look like, and like <laughs> then your visuals there, and like that's a fucking problem. Yeah. like that's just like fuck me. Like that's not good. So, well, oh, Mark phrasing choices. Yeah, I'm sorry. And we're sorry. And uh, Blake, you owe the listenership an apology because I just made everybody read that. So <laughs> we'll get there. Let's get into the news so that I can bleach my brain of that thought for at least the next. Yeah, well, until Tim brings it up again is probably basically how long that's going to last. <laughs> mm, is right. So first things first, Brian Singer has been replaced on Red Sonia. Jill Soloway will be replacing Brian Singer on the Red Sonia project. She was the creator of Transparent. She also worked on, she was also a producer on Six Feet Under and directed the 2013 movie Afternoon Delight. These are all things that I've heard of. Like, well, I mean, obviously we've seen Six Feet Under, but yeah. I've heard of these other movies and just not seen them. Because Transparent was the one with Jeffrey Tambor, right? Yeah, and then he, he was a dick. And, yeah. 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 So apparently this is the woman who fired him, like ran that show and fired him from that show for his behavior. So she's the one who's taking over for Brian Singer on Red Sonia. Good fucking pick, kids. Yeah. Well, I mean, anything's better than fucking Brian Singer, so. True. It's not like yeah. he's directed anything good in the last 15 fucking years anyway, so. Well, and he's also a gar- garbage human being, so. Yeah, basically the garbage <laughs> human being would be the big thing. Yeah. It's the the whole Brian Singer thing. It's like, who did he have dirt on that he was able to get away with it for so long? Or was it that he was going after men? Probably. That it, he was able to fall, fly under the radar longer than some of the others. But like, everyone knew that, that he was going to have his Me Too moment. But like, I even here in Seoul, I had a friend who was from California who was like, had a casting couch moment with Brian Singer. Like, this is how Shit. widespread... Yeah, that was one of those open <laughs> like, secrets, right? Like there was the yeah. the Max Landis one that came out, which I don't know how Max Landis fucking became famous to begin with because piece of shit. Because his daddy, yeah, exactly. His daddy but his dad's a piece of shit too. Do you remember? Like, did you ever hear about that? Like the two people that died on, like he took he killed two kids on yeah. set or something like that, which I did not know about <laughs> until this week. Go look up John Landis. It was the Twilight Zone movie. There's like a a stunt that happened with the helicopter, and like two fucking kids died on the set, and they were also. It was also the reason why they put all kinds of like limitations on how long kids could be on set because mm-hmm. the kids had worked like a 12 hour day already. Like it was midnight when this happened and like three people died, including two of the kids or one of the kids was injured or something like that. But so like John Land is not exactly like as much as I'd love American Wolf in London, not exactly the most upstanding dude, which obviously means he mm-hmm. taught his son who was an entitled little shit bag to not yeah. be the most upstanding dude. And now we have Max Landis in the world, but it basically sounds like Max Landis will no longer be fucking canceled so fuck him and his stupid fucking bullshit he's been yeah dropped from a bunch of other projects and shit like that well they uh they just kicked him off whatever his movie was he just got this like booted out and they're not i think they canceled the movie he was working on right now like it's dead so oh no i know like i really need to see (laughs) another fucking max landis piece of shit ever again yeah fuck I mean, like, let, let's just clarify that we're not advocates of canceled culture in general, but like just these fucking assholes who are obviously pieces of shit yeah. don't deserve their second, third, fourth chances. Like how like eight women came forward yeah. mm-hmm. with Max Landis. That's, you know, the worst part is like, and again, it's like the open secret. Like we've heard about this for years and just nothing's happened. Cause like, what do you do? Right. Like you yeah. always hear about he's creepy at cons. He's creepy with people when he meets them, like all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, interesting. Just maybe yeah. get like he's not even talented enough to be famous either like his exactly stuff, that's, that's what shit. Fucking, yeah he, so he's like just fuck him. 
Yeah, exactly. I feel like we've just wasted way more breath on him than we really should. So let's move on. Done. I was going to talk about, so I don't know who Anthony Kerrigan is, but he joined the new Bill and Ted movie. I just want to talk about it because Bill and Ted, I just like bringing <laughs> up the Bill and Ted movie. He played Victor Zaz on Gotham. Oh, did he? Cool. It says he was on Barry with Bill Hader. Yeah, I, Bill I haven't Hader watched yet. that yet. I've heard it's really, really good and it's, it's on, on my list. on my list of stuff to watch, but I haven't got there yet. Yeah. No, so I'm just, but, you know, uh, Bill and Ted, Bill and Ted 3 coming. So we're yeah, excited. I just, I, he reminds me a lot. Like he's got that look of the Grim Reaper like the Bill Sadler Grim Reaper. So yep. that, you know, says to me, it could be something related to that, but who the fuck knows? I mean, like Sadler still works, but he is like old, old now. Yeah. So I, like I just saw him in a Netflix. He was in a Netflix series with Famke Jansen. We were watching at the house this week, something about uh, the Central Park Five. Oh yeah. yeah. And he played yeah, the cop uh, in there. Yeah. I remember what it's called. The Oprah one. Yes. Yeah. It was actually pretty good. Yeah, but, like he was in there, and he was he was good. He's but he always plays creepy. But he is obviously like not the same dude he was when he was Death or yeah Luther Sloan uh, from Section Thirty One on Deep Space Nine too. Like he's been yeah he is a genre guy. He's he goes way back. He rolls deep. So yeah. And a couple of weeks ago, they cast their daughters as well, Bill mm-hmm. and Ted's daughters. So there was some news there. I think one of them is like the niece of Hugo Weaving or something like that. Yeah, so. I heard. I read the story about that. It's interesting. Yeah. That's fine. It's gonna be awesome. Makes yeah. sense that he would pick a Hugo Weaving. Yeah, and relative, that, th- right? Since he spent so much time working with them anyway. And I think Bill and Ted Face the Music has actually started filming now. Like, there's oh, has it? Yeah, I think Alex Winters has started like posting on Facebook about like, yeah, it's been great getting everybody back together, and but it's kind of weird and everything. And it'd be weird too because. Uh, they're missing somebody like George Carlin's not around to do that either. Yeah. Which sucks. Just get Ringo Starr, like fucking Chang Time Station. Yeah. Him or uh, who else could do it? Alec Baldwin? <laughs> would have to be, who replaced, who, who else replaced the, who was Mr. Conductor also? It was Alec Baldwin, right? For a couple of years. Was it? I think it was. I think Alec Baldwin was as well. I would take either of those guys. Honestly, if you could throw Ringo in the fucking movie, sign me up. He could just be immortal. Like I survived that long because I'm a Beatle. Like fuck, I'll believe it in that world. Sure. <laughs> Holy shit, Alec Baldwin did play Mr. Conductor. What the fuck? See, I knew I was fucking right. I knew it. (laughs) Crazy, right? Yeah. So apparently J.J. Abrams, who just signed a massive deal with Warner Brothers, which we can talk about at some other point, because it's like a huge $500 million production deal overall. Like, he's moving all his production from... He was at Paramount, obviously, because of Star Trek and stuff. And now he's moved all into Warner. So all his film projects for Bad Robot will be going forward will be out of Warner, which is interesting for Disney, because he's doing Star Wars. Like, he's got that ninth Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. coming out in a couple months but i guess the deal must i mean i guess jj abrams is big enough that you can just be like hey i'm gonna finish this and then i'll come work for you and warner's yeah. like yeah yep. okay sure <laughs> yep we're good basically. at that yeah it's guaranteed box office regardless of what you think about those movies that they produce right like discovery and that kind of stuff that comes out of bad robot they do make money so mm-hmm. but he is actually writing a spider-man comic book with so with his son and teaming up with uh sarah pacelli who was the co-creator of Ultimate Spider-Man Miles Morales, like she was the penciler on the book when that was created. Yeah. So apparently, which is yeah, be JJ with his son Henry, and a new Spider-Man number one with cover ball uh, Olivier Coipel, who's one of Paul and I's favorites from his Thor run mm-hmm. back in the day. Back in the day. Yeah. But I'm I'd, I'm actually kind of curious. I'm interested to pick that up, especially like Sarah Pacelli's a fucking amazing penciler. So. And JJ's never written a comic before, has he? As far as I know. Uh not as far as I know, I'd have to go and like yeah. research it. I'm curious. No. Like he's he's got the mind. Like he loves this stuff. So in a small budget way, like if he's just doing a comic, I can see him doing like quality writing work on that. So I'm I'm curious to see how he would yeah. tackle a Spider-Man comic. And he's got you know decent experience on like writing something 
really serialized like lost kind of thing regardless of what you think of lost like the first couple of seasons were really solid on it and that is kind of what a comic book is is you know something long form that yeah sometimes has like a mini climax but is always more or less second act until you get to like the last last season or whatever well he did actually i always thought he did a really good job with that kind of storytelling on elias before lost even became a thing and that's a much more comic booky kind of yeah like action show so never watched alias uh i think he's i i have a jennifer garner i like jennifer <laughs> garner so me too she's really good in that show too it's like yeah she's it's quite a, it's a romp yeah yeah it's fun it's like like it was like dark angel like I, I mean i basically watched that for jessica alba but it ended up being kind of like a decent little like cheap sci-fi show so. My favorite part of this J.J. Uh, Abrams announcement was the countdown that they did on like Twitter, Instagram or whatever, where they had like a webbed number four. And then when that came out, like the fans oh, yeah, of the, the original, yeah, the fans of the original uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies yeah, just went, trilogy. yeah, fucking went insane. We're like, oh, my God, they're making Spider-Man four or like a comic book of Spider-Man for everything. And then it just I mean, came ended up being like a countdown of like four, three, two, and then Spider-Man number one here. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty funny. I laughed my ass <laughs> off when I saw that, and I was like, "Really? Like, does anybody who wants that? Like, who really wants that? Everybody definitely wants more dancing Peter Parker." Well, it's funny because mm. those movies have this really weird hold because, like, when the they put that suit out for the Spider-Man game, like the PS4 game last year, the internet rioted. They went nuts. We're like, "Oh my god, it's the best looking suit in the game." I'm like, "No, it's the worst suit. Like, it's an <laughs> ugly suit. I never liked that suit." That's what I, I don't know. A lot of people got their start with Spider-Man with the. Yeah, Rainy I guess that, actually that kind of makes sense. So, I guess a lot of people would have. That's kind of like us in the '89 Batman suit, probably. Where like I still think it looks cool, even though it's the worst fucking suit, like practical. <laughs> <laughs> Big chunks of rubber. Yeah, yeah, like you can't move in it, but it looks amazing. You know what I mean? So, whereas like the Spidey suit, like he can move, but it looks like shit. I always thought that suit looked like garbage. So yeah, yeah. wait a minute. Tim Burton yeah. did something form over function. Don't. Yeah, no you kidding. don't say. No kidding. Uh, we call that in the fashion world. We call that editorial, Tim. We call it editorial and photographic. Just, yeah, kind of. Just call it. Just call it Tim Burton style bullshit. Is basically what. Yeah. But yeah. No, I don't. I, I've never understood. I don't. But that makes sense actually. If a bunch of kids like saw Spider-Man for the first time in those movies, that would probably be why that nostalgia is there for it. It just doesn't track kids. Those movies came out like fifteen plus years They'd be, ago, like in their twenties right kids yeah. to me well i'm almost 40 now so <laughs> fuck off gen, gen zers <laughs> yeah yeah but like if that's their nostalgia i guess i mean i can't really argue with that it just it doesn't track for me so i'm always like why those movies like they're so bad like they're not none of them are really good the second one spider-man 2 yeah, i was about to say yeah still has Kristen uh, dunce and toby mcguire in it though you know like they're never they were never good in those movies <laughs> they were like, never good like she's terrible and he's like basically asleep throughout the second yeah. two of them, so I don't know. I'll agree with that. Even as a huge Kirsten Dunst fan and supporter, I love apologizer. Also, yeah, uh, yeah, huge apologist for her. Yeah, but yeah, she's she was never good. It was no, it was a bad, ca- it was bad casting yeah. overall. Yeah, but anyway, I, I love that. Yeah. I love that trilogy. Let's let's find the redhead character, cast a blonde, and then we're gonna have that redhead or the blonde character. Let's cast a redhead. It's like, why are you so confused, guys? Yeah. Like, why is everything in this movie so goddamn <laughs> confused? And then you, Topher Grace's Venom. Eh? Yeah, we're done. It's over. Let's do Geek of the Week. Oh, wait. I have one more story. Sorry. This is kind of meat of the episode, but a religious group has mistakenly been petitioning to get Amazon Prime's Good Omens removed from Netflix. So, like, the only thing I have to say about this is if you're too fucking stupid to know which streaming platform you should be protesting, keep your fucking mouth shut and just shut the fuck up. Like, that's... Yeah. Wow. Yeah. wow. I just laughed. Yeah. I couldn't help but laugh. <laughs> 
bunch of gyms <laughs> protesting when they have no idea what the no hell they're talking clue. about. I was like, this yeah. is amazing. Just, that was, that was, yeah, pretty special. And then Amazon and uh, Netflix both, you know, made little comments about it on Twitter or whatever. I think Netflix said like, okay, we won't make any more good omens. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then Amazon like said, okay, well in return, we're going to cancel stranger things. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I just wanted to point it out because we are talking about Good Omens this week, and it's a fucking hilarious story about dumb, dumb people doing dumb, dumb things. Indeed. All right. You d- you didn't want to talk about uh, Avengers coming back to theaters? Oh, shit. I skipped that one. I had that in there. Yes. So it's next <laughs> week. You can go see Avengers again with new footage, which means I have to go to the goddamn theater again. Sigh. This is just so they can get above <laughs> Avatar. You know that, right? Like they're trying to beat Avatar. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've been looking for an excuse to get back mm-hmm. into theaters. I, what I really hope is that this bumps it back onto some IMAX screens because mm-hmm. I never got to see it in IMAX. Yeah. I saw it in 3D originally, but it wasn't IMAX 3D. And uh, I've been holding out. So if this puts it back onto some IMAX screens, then I'll probably try and go see it this weekend. I'd like to go see it in IMAX, but I'd like to also just go see a big flat 2D version of it one last time on the mm-hmm. big screen. Mm-hmm. I am dying for it to get on like home media because I just like I love my setup and I bitch about this all the time. But like, man, theater experience versus like my sixty-five inch four K TV in my basement, like with the super sound system I bought and that. I'm like, I don't really need to go to the theater to get the movie theater experience anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <sighs> can we just get these on home as fast as possible in HDR so I can watch them? <laughs> that would be ideal. Yeah, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm probably definitely gonna go see it again because I love yeah. that movie. It was great. Great. Did you guys not see yeah. the news about the Vertigo imprint? All right. I knew somebody was going to bring that shit up. It is massively overblown. Okay. So everybody, so basically DC is saying they're not going to have any different imprints anymore. It's that it's basically DC is just going to have like sort of age warnings on their books, right? It's going to be like DC and this one is for like mature readers and DC, this one's for like teen readers. Yeah. But part of that is that they're not going to have anything that's published under Vertigo anymore. It's just going to be like mature readers kind of thing. What well, says here DC Vertigo? Like they're going to start putting DC in front of everything the same way they do like DC YA and DC Inc. and DC Zoom and stuff like that. Yeah, more or less. So it's not really that they're shutting down like every Vertigo-y kind of title. There's not really any Vertigo. Well, there's a few, but not a lot of Vertigo-y stuff right now anyways. But is the Wildstorm? Is the, where does the Wildstorm fall right now? Wildstorm is is dc it's not like set in continuity but it's it's just got, got like a dc you know, button it, on it, it it's under have, the dc imprint. okay it doesn't have like yeah. a wildstorm button on it anymore or anything like that no 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 like it's not a sub no i don't think so. i know it used to be a sub imprint kind of thing is why i'm asking yeah no it's it, they're, they're just putting it out under uh dc's main imprint now okay. even though it's not like in continuity yeah. or whatever so yeah so everybody's saying like this is the end of an era but it's not really it's just they're taking that name off the title of some books <laughs> yeah I mean, the Vertigo name is a, like a legendary name, so I, I, yeah. I, it's kind of sad that they're killing that label just because it's like. Well, it's not the first time it's gone defunct, though, no, right? It's true. Like it's it's laid dormant for years and years and years. There's nothing saying that two years from now they're not going to relaunch it no. or something. So no, one of my one of my fondest dreams when I was chasing the comic book dream was like I wanted to have a book in Vertigo at some point, like just one weird thing that like Paul and I did or something like that, and just do a weird Vertigo book because I always wanted to be like. I mean, everybody worked for Vertigo. Neil Gaiman, Alice, uh, Brian K. Vaughan, fucking Morrison did stuff. Like, all these huge, huge names worked for Vertigo. And it's like, some of my favorite books of all time came out of that imprint. So, 
Yeah. yeah. It would have been cool to do something like really weird on the magic side, like Zatanna <laughs> yeah. on, on the Vertigo imprint or something like that and go really occulty. Yeah, I would have kicked rocks to yeah. do Hellblazer over at Vertigo for a little while too, you know, like just, mm-hmm. yeah, done some Constantine. Would have done some Constantine. So yeah. there's that. Sorry, I missed two news stories that I had them both. I didn't, <laughs> this one I didn't even see. This happened today. Yeah, it was yeah. that one was today. Oh, okay. That's why. And the only other one is one I knew that you wouldn't mention, but Christy's listening. She'll yell at us for not mentioning it. But that Harry Potter Niantic mobile game launched earlier this week, Wizards Unite or whatever. And mm-hmm. holy shit, my timeline is full of people trying to get people trying to get me to play it with them. I would have assumed something like that would have hit the front page of Kotaku this week, and I didn't see it. It's been a lot of E3 mm-hmm. Fallout this week, like a lot of Nintendo stuff coming out, like footage mm-hmm. for Zelda and like Link's Awakening Zelda, not Breath of the Wild. Yeah, yeah. And what's the other one they're doing? Oh, that new uh, the Cadence of Hyrule, the rhythm game. Oh, yeah, yeah. That comes yeah, out the this crossover week. one. Yeah, that comes out this week, and they've been pushing that pretty hard. So I've been seeing oh, footage cool. of that. And then we were talking about it before the episode, but Bloodstained, the Castlevania Symphony of the Night Creators new castle like Metroidvania game came out this week for the big two consoles so the Xbox and the PlayStation it comes out for Switch in a couple days I guess like it was delayed a week neither mm-hmm. Paul or I have really played it but it's been getting but we will oh no yeah it's we're like... definitely going to get into it it's just it, <laughs> it's catching a lot of press this week so I haven't seen anything anything about Harry Potter it's just kind of weird oh there's yeah, one yeah it's been... yeah it's kind of been all over the all over my Facebook anyways okay. but I'm yeah. probably not going to play it no. Oh, yeah, it hasn't rolled out in Korea. As with Pokemon Go, they're delaying the release because they have Korea with their like military installations and things like that. They have a they have to do a special deal with Google to like make sure certain points of interest don't pop up mm. on like a fucking game <laughs> for like <laughs> for like so North Korea doesn't like open Pokemon Go and be like, oh really? These are good thing. places to target with <laughs> missiles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Considering I'm with, still within artillery range of North Korea, I'm glad that they're taking their time. Just saying. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, cool. I also have no interest in this game. I just, I'm just going to keep playing Pokemon Go. Yeah, I, yeah. I, and, the, and those kinds of games are not my thing at all. And like I said, I, I, I didn't. I would have brought it up probably jokingly because I would just to bust Christie's balls a little bit. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't even see anything about it. So thank you for bringing it up. Okay, now can we do Geek of the Week? Now we can do Geek of the Week. Paul. Geek of the week. Geek of the week. All right, guys, this is the segment where we tell each other the nerdiest things we did this week. Let's start with Paul. Guys, I'm still down like a fucking Final Fantasy K hole right now. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Fucking Christ, <laughs> amazing, amazing. Okay, <laughs> started last week. I started playing Final Fantasy X again. And then I realized that I had a whole bunch of like leftover cash on my Nintendo eShop account. And then I realized Final Fantasy IX, the remaster was just there for me to purchase on with 20% off. And so I started playing Final Fantasy IX again. And I just keep like, you know, just I guess this is my life now where I just keep replaying Final <laughs> Fantasy games until I die. So well, uh, hopefully you'll pause long go. enough to like play Bloodstained and maybe we can do a little quick segment on that. This is such a bad thing because I have so many like AAA titles on my current consoles that I haven't, I barely touched. Persona 5 and Breath of the Wild being like the number one and two on my list that I need to get through and finish. And it's just like, okay, I'm going to play Final Fantasy IX again. Yeah. Oh, look, it looks less shitty than it did. I don't know. It's like, there; those games hold up story-wise 
gameplay wise, they've realized that they are pretty slow. So they have all these like features to kind of like game shark your way through the combat system and whatnot and random battles or you can turn off random battles and max out your experience and stuff like that but like yeah but they're still fun games and final fantasy 9 in particular that's the return to form one right yeah that was the return to form we have like what each character has their own particular class and job function and the storyline's really tight the localization is better than seven and eight by far and it's got like a really Good, cute stories. So, Final Fantasy Nine. That's a Good that time. remaster has been getting a lot of press this week too. For Final Fantasy Eight, yeah. No, no, no. Sorry, like, the uh, the Seven remaster, like the remake of Seven, I should say. Oh yeah, the press has been well, crazy about that this week. Uh, yeah, they've been talking. They're t- the biggest controversy was about uh, Tifa's titties and how they are now. She's now wearing a sports bra because she's like a, a an action a, person, like doing stuff. She's a monk, and monk class is always like combat related and. You know, they're leaning into realism. So they were like, um, we're going to give her like realistic boob physics. <laughs> and some people were all like, no, but what about my titties? And we were like, yeah, they're not just like giant, giant like quarter <laughs> sphere polygons attached to like the chest trunk of her 3D model yeah. anymore. And like <laughs> that are like, I guess, hitting her in the face while she's yeah, like, while she's punching just... things. I don't know. I saw it. The art looked really nice. Like I was pretty impressed with like yeah. the way everything looks in it. Still like super curious about that gameplay. I'm very excited to have my brother at home so that I don't have to pay to fucking try that thing. <laughs> I know I'll be able to just like sideload into into his account on the on the PS4 Pro that's downstairs, and because I know he's going to sign into that to play all my shit in 4K. Um, that's true. That is very right. True. So yeah, I, so I figured I could at least take advantage of it for a couple minutes and like try Final Fantasy VII at some point without having to pay for my own copy. Yeah, nice. Cool, Tim. Yeah. What are you for this week? Uh, I was unsurprisingly out on work travel again. Uh, I recently took over the state of North Carolina for my company. It's part of my territory now, and I've never been out there before. So this week I was in uh, Raleigh and Durham. I'm sorry. It actually was interesting. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's sort of a, well, it's, it's one of like the big sort of biotech and like startup yeah. incubator hubs in the U.S. They have like this research triangle park area that's got... A lot of uh, startups and tech companies and stuff like that. Good tax breaks, eh? Yeah, and, and it's way cheaper to live there than it is in somewhere like uh, Silicon Valley or San Francisco or, or fucking, even where you even are, like Austin or something like that. Or yeah. So uh, as I tend to do when I'm traveling for work, one of the things that I generally look for are uh, arcade bars, uh, and I found two different ones actually uh the first one i went to was relatively underwhelming but the second one was uh pretty big and pretty cool it's called boxcar i guess it's like a little franchise in the area there's a few of them around those cities down there but uh had a bunch of like the newer wave of pinball machines from like stern and some of the other companies like a lot of those like really nicely themed ones like there's a deadpool one that they did like last year and spider-man stuff like that and it was a good mix of like older, like classic arcade cabinets, like your fucking Galaga and Ms. Pac-Man and Donkey Kong and shit like that. And then some of the newer, like more Dave and Buster's kind of Palladium, you know, those big like ones that you can only kind of play in an arcade where it's like you pick up the gun and you're actually shooting oh, shit yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. And so instead they have like skee-ball and shit like that. And I haven't been with Dave and Buster's since we went to that one. For Eric's thing. Oh, for for Eric's uh, bachelor party or whatever. Yeah, I haven't been one. Of, yeah. I haven't been in one ages. I can just like 
craziness. I've been, yeah, I've been to ones in Atlanta a couple times because they've got some cool stuff. Like, I mean, all the fucking ticket based games are bullshit, but sometimes they'll have like ones that are more like simulator kind of thing. Yeah. There's one that's like, uh, this this place didn't have one, but the last Dave and Buster's I was at did this called like Star Wars Battle Pod, yes. where you actually like sit in it and it's got like a big dome screen in front of you that's yeah. uh, everything's projected onto, and like your seat doesn't really like move or anything, but like the screen moves so much and is so surrounding, so immersive yeah. that you really do get more of that sense of motion. I've seen pictures of that one online, and like I know they have it at the Dave and Buster's. It's in Oakville. Like mm-hmm. there's a the Cineplex that has the IMAX near me that i use for imax is like in a fucking one of those cadres where they put all that shit in there and yeah, yeah, yeah there's a dave and busters in there like i know they had the star wars thing in there because i walked by it one day and they had a sign up and i was like i'm not going in to play that right now no i just came <laughs> out of i just come out of like avengers or something like that i'm like i'm going home but i thought <laughs> about know. it because like i love playing arcade games like i miss going to the arcade and stuff but like like going to Dave and Buster's is more like a process than it is like just going to the arcade. Yeah, exactly. You got to like get your fucking card loaded up and everything. And yeah. 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 So it's not, it's not just like a, like when we used to go like, Hey man, you want to go spend 20 bucks at the arcade and just like rip through street fighter for a couple hours. And like, yeah, yeah, Paul and I would go do that. And that was what we did. But yeah. At Tropical. Yeah. Yeah. In the Fairview Mall, man. And then at the Cineplex eventually (laughs) before I started working there when they, yeah. So there's that. Cool. Um, so for me, I'd written down a thing. What did I do this week? I've been working on the same thing. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I took the time and I finished my little X-Men rabbit hole. So I just hit the main part of the Dark Phoenix story proper when we recorded last week's episode, like the review of Dark Phoenix. So I just basically kind of sat down with my iPad and was like, just kept reading. So I'm kind of in the middle of like Claremont, Burn, Golden Age X-Men stuff. And I'm just having a blast reading these old stories. It's aged in a weird way where like I still love, like I have such rose-tinted kind of perception of these books Mm -hmm. like the stuff that modern readers would find super annoying like word bubbles and kind of weird like those really staticky back and forth dialogue pages kind of thing where there's like one page and like 500 bubbles of dialogue kind of thing yeah like i I love that stuff because that's just what i grew up on and whatever but i can see how it's not the thing but i love that's like early early 80s right yeah early 70s early 80s that's before burn came over and started doing a lot of dc stuff in like the mid 80s it's basically how he got the dc job was he was so big on x-men how he got man of steel and shit yeah they basically begged him to come across the street uh because his name was gold after like 15 years of x-men or whatever however long he worked on he was on there for a long time and claremont stayed so i mean claremont was on x-men till like the Mm -hmm. mid 90s but like i won't read that far in but like the burn claremont stuff's like my jam so i'm super happy to just sit there and read it again i was in the mood for it especially after that debacle that we watched for last week (laughs) it was nice to see like the real characters and like you know cyclops or magneto not being there and cyclops acting like cyclops instead of like some whiny like teenager and shit like that blah 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 yeah 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 I just, I love that old shit. And uh, those, those John Byrne pencil, like it's Dave Cockrum and John Byrne pencils, like kind of back and forth. But man, that stuff's, that's my jam right there. So that was my nice. geek of the week. Yeah. All right, guys, it's time for me to the episode. Yell in my ears. Meat of the episode. Biblical meat. Apocalyptic meat. We did. Yeah. That too. All right. So uh, <laughs> meat of the episode. I think we already, you guys know what it is. We're talking about good omens this week, which. I quite enjoyed, so this should be an interesting conversation. I don't really have a lot to bitch about, so I don't know how we're going to do this. <laughs> but uh, Good Omens is a uh, Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman novel that was released originally in 1990. 1990. Yep. Yeah. 
So this is the updated TV version on Amazon Prime starring David Tennant, Michael Sheen, 500,000 other people, uh, <laughs> famous people. Like This fucking cast is ridiculous. So I just people I recognize off the top line, Miranda Richardson, Michael McKean, Jack Whitehall, John Hamm, Francis McDormand, obviously David Tennant, Michael. Yeah, I said those guys. Yeah. But like that, that cast is bonkers. Um, and they we use them all to quite nice effect. So we're just going to kind of roll through it. We'll start. Generally, what were your thoughts on Good Omens? Let's start with Tim. Uh, I was amused. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that I was necessarily like super entertained by it. Like there wasn't a whole lot of points where I found myself like outright laughing at it or anything. I found it very clever, which is not surprising, given the authors of the yeah. original work. But to the point that it was occasionally obnoxiously so, yeah. to the point of pretense. I can see that, but sure. yeah, yeah, but I, but I mean, it, full disclosure, disclaimer, whatever. Like this is not necessarily my right up my alley. Like I have not read a ton of Gaiman. I've played like a couple of the Discworld games, but I've never read any Terry Pratchett. I've yeah. read a couple, or I've watched a couple of the miniseries and stuff they've made of his books over the years, and like I like it fine. It's just not like str- like it's it's sort of a side thing for me. It's not like one of my main kind of you know subgenres or whatever is like whatever you want to call it like humor fantasy kind of thing uh anything else Nah, not in terms of general no that's that's sort of my general overview all right cool paul um i think this was a pretty well-made adaptation overall i think that i've read this book at some point in my life i can't remember exactly when so because as i was watching it i'm like oh yeah i remember this happening and I remember this happening, but I don't really remember sitting down and reading this book at any mm-hmm. point, but I must have because I'm like, oh, I know all of these story beats. I know exactly what's going on. Okay. So I've at some point read Good Omens, probably like devoured it <laughs> in the, when I was like 12 or 13 years old or something like that. So I liked it overall. There were some issues with me in terms of execution and tone that it was very cl- obvious to me that it was directed by a guy who had done Doctor Who episodes <laughs> before. Yeah. And f- that doesn't always necessarily mean that it's good because there are some really wonky Doctor Who episodes. And it also gave me the feeling of other Netflix shows that were adaptations of novels, particularly American Gods, which is not a Netflix show, but also Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, the Neil Patrick Harris version, which like it, they had the same kind of feeling to them and the way that they use the, the green screen effects and special effects and stuff like that look almost identical to each other. So I was like, did they share a cinematographer? It, or it was very clearly shot on a BBC soundstage. It looked like a doctor, yeah. like a high end Doctor Who production, like what <laughs> modern Doctor Who looks yeah. like now, where it's like, it looks really crisp, but you can still see the seams. Yeah. It definitely yes. had that look to it, which I like. Yeah. It was good for TV. And like for what is basically yeah. a kid's fantasy novel. Like it, ha- it it hits the yeah. right note, I think, special effects wise and yeah. stuff. So like, I didn't have too many gripes about that. Sorry, you can finish. Yeah. I just didn't, didn't want to like interrupt. Yeah, no, that's fine. Overall, I think that if it hadn't been for such good performances, I might I would have lost interest in this series very quickly. But it was the charm of the leads that really brought me through all six episodes yeah Yeah, and that's kind of my overall take on it too like i had a really good time watching it like i was amused the entire time i like this whole like 
playing around with Christian mythology because like people tend to not do it as much. But like a lot of my favorite genre fiction is kind of inside that world. Like it's why I love Supernatural. It's why I'm terrified of The Exorcist, like that kind of stuff. So this kind of playing Mm -hmm. with it is fun for me. This is a little more, it's very camp, I think would be the word I would use to describe it. Yeah, whimsical, yeah. And like, which is not normally my thing, but I think, and it was probably because of Michael Sheen and David Tennant. I was just like, man, I'm having such a good time just watching these two guys riff that like all the other plot points about this, that, and the other thing that we'll talk about as we go along. Like I was fine and I'm having a good time watching it, but I'm like, I don't really care about anything. Like as soon as Tennant and Michael Sheen are off screen, I'm like, I'm not as interested in this as I was yeah. five <laughs> seconds ago. So yeah, like that, that became very much drove it for sure for me too. Yeah. So that kind of like that, that was probably my biggest takeaway was like, I love this show until the leads leave. And then I'm like, oh man, these kids, I hate fucking British BBC. (laughs) Not like, so like that was my biggest struggle was like, they, especially because they would dwell in scenes a long time. They dwelled on the kids. And as soon as, and in later episodes, Frances McDormand starts to go away a lot. Like when she was narrating over the kids, I'm like, this is fine. Cause I can listen to her and I'm good. Cause she's hilarious. Yeah. But as, as that narration started to go away, as they were just like really driving the plot, I'm like, this isn't as much fun for me anymore. Where's uh, Where's David Tennant? Because <laughs> him licking the air is basically more entertaining than any of this stuff that's happening right now. But, yeah, it's so. and I'm I'm the same way in terms of like I really do like the irreverent takes on Christianity kind of thing, like dogma shit like that. I really, yeah, dogma, I, yeah. but this in particular, Good Omens, I f- thought that it really assumed a lot of its audience like i was raised catholic there was a lot of the sort of christian mythology aspects of good omens that i still feel like went over my head like i feel like you almost needed to be a classics major to fucking fully appreciate it sometimes i got i mean Mm -hmm. it depends i don't say i've never read the novel Uh, i started it this week but this week went fucking tits up on me so like i kind of had to stop spending a bunch of time by myself reading uh and do some work but But like uh, maybe like for instance maybe it's if i knew christian mythology better i would know why the demons have various amphibians and lizards on their heads oh that's a lot of stuff (laughs) a lot of that stuff is referenced to uh like i guess like the uh the divine comedy and stuff like that when yeah, Again, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, hierarchy of demons yeah. and things like that, which you like, that's a deep dive. Like a lot of these names and stuff like that. I did research on this kind of stuff for a story that I was writing. Uh, <laughs> and so like, yeah, I've read in the, uh, the Inferno once yeah. through years ago. Well, I but mean, still yeah. like, yeah, yeah, no, I totally understand, like not knowing all this stuff. Like, I think I follow it. Like they, they, they deep dive a lot of this stuff in Supernatural too. Like you get kind of names and stuff thrown at you. So it's, it's always something that I'll go look at because the way the actual religion is built is way more interesting to me than like the actual religion. Cause there's all this weird, like if you really look at Christian mythology, it's a nightmare of like horrors. And oh stuff, yeah. Right? There's some, there's some really cool shit in there. Yeah. Yeah. But. It also reads like a really like detailed fantasy world, mm-hmm. like, and that's why I feel like it keeps getting reused like this. Like, I like it's oh. like you would read, oh, there's the Lord Beals about like there's these different lords of hell, and they all have certain yeah. numbers of armies and sub commanders. Like to me, it makes me think of like uh, an anime where there's like <laughs> you know the big bad, and then yeah. there's like a tournament style. Like here, here's your power levels and stuff like yeah. that. Like that's what I get when I 
look at Christian mythology like that. So honestly, like, and, and when the more people say stuff about like DC and Marvel being our modern mythology, and the more you look at the way like Christian mythology was built, I'm like, man, it's very similar to the way like six one six of the DCU was tossed together mm-hmm. over like the course of time as people were like writing and editing and adding and parsing and like that book doesn't count anymore and this that, and thing. I'm like, man, these are conversations that we have had in fandom. <laughs> And they're just having to move out of religion. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a little bit scarier, I think. So yeah. there is that. All right. Well, this is a little bit more contentious than I thought <laughs> it was going to be. I thought you guys would be like, yeah, it was good. But uh, I have no idea what to talk about. <laughs> so what did, uh, let's start with positive then. Uh, what did you like? Um, I just want to start out by shouting out the fucking opening credits. Oh, yeah. Which are like design student pornography. They were so goddamn yeah. good. Yeah. I enjoyed the shit out of yeah, that. Yeah, they were really cool. Although, to be fair, opening credits are becoming one of those things where like everybody's got like everybody's got a copy of After Effects <laughs> and can hire a graphic designer who has a good idea. And if they just let, just get out of the way, you're getting all these cool opening credits things. So I'm like, I can't give them too much credit because every opening credit scene now is really usually pretty good. Yeah. But this one, yeah, it caught my yeah, attention. It definitely grabbed so. me too. That being said, there was a couple episodes where it's like, hey, we're not going to roll the credits until 20 minutes into the fucking episode. And yeah. I got confused by yeah. that a couple times. And I'm never, like, I, I don't understand why. Like, what's the point at that point? Just don't, if you're not going to yeah. do that, just don't have a credit sequence on that episode for like, whatever reason. Just do it at the top yeah. of the episode. Like, like Game of Thrones, every single episode credits were before you got into anything else. Like, that sort of thing. Like, yeah. you know, I'm, I don't think I'm being, like, a crotchety old man by saying, like, yeah, the credit should air before you're more than 50% of the way through the fucking episode. Yeah, I, I actually, that one, I caught that one. I, what is it? Episode four, three, the, or, three four, or four. Yeah. One that. of the ones right in the yeah. middle where I was watching it and I was like, I feel like I started this like 10, 15 minutes ago. And I, I was looking forward to the opening credits to just kind of sit there and look at them again. And I was like, what the fuck are the opening credits on this? And then I kind of lost track and went back to doing what else I was doing while I was watching it. And then the opening credits came on. And I was like, huh, 21 minutes, eh? Mm-hmm. interesting like why <laughs> like, i don't understand why it took so long <laughs> yeah so that was a weird yeah. thing i wasn't streaming it so i didn't have the option of like just hitting the skip opening button like and they don't have that on amazon prime amazon prime kind of sucks actually uh, as a streaming service uh, like it's very wait did it no i had the uh, i had the skip intro button i think did you yeah i don't i don't think it's in the playstation uh, okay app, so. yeah i was watching it either on like in a browser like in chrome or i think i also watched some of it on on like the app on my samsung tv oh fair i tried it on my browser a little bit because i was working on my rig but i found that the it was super choppy like it was just looked like shit i was getting like every third frame so i was like i'm gonna you know Mm -hmm. find another way to put this on my screens so i did yeah Um, so that was annoying so i had more i had more negative things to say about amazon prime than i did about (laughs) this show yeah overall (laughs) i found just accessing the show even though i'm a paid amazon prime subscriber was a massive pain in the ass because like the apps don't work great and like even in browser i found the picture really janky and stuff like that and like the sound was terrible like just really tinny bad audio <laughs> which i because i was wearing headphones and stuff like, yeah watching it yeah wow i can hear everything like how badly this was mastered and put online like okay like man and i we were also watching jessica jones like i was watching jessica jones at the same time and doing the same thing with the headphones Really nice crystal clear audio coming off Netflix in browser presentation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Amazon Prime's gonna get their shit together. So <laughs> I'll have to keep an ear out for that next time I watch something on Prime because I've never noticed that, but maybe I just haven't been paying close attention. 
Put your headphones in. I found once I yeah. put my cans on when I really started picking up like the digital wash of the noise. Yeah. Um, so like when music's playing, you know, you can hear it on cymbals and stuff real bad. Mm-hmm. I was catching it on almost everything, like crowd noise and stuff started to get that dithered, that digital dithering effect to it. And I was like, wow, hmm. I'm streaming this off their site and it sounds like shit. So that's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so opening credits were amazing. Yeah. What else did I like? I mean, we can just like right off the top fucking tenant. And Sheen, the whole like, thing, the whole thing was cast really well overall. But yeah, the, those two cast. in particular, yeah, uh, as Tennant as Crowley and and uh, Michael Sheen as Aziraphale. I keep I keep going. I keep I keep wanting to say Arazaphale, but I know it's Aziraphale. Aziraphale. They were both great. They fucking embodied those roles perfectly. I think that the costuming and and production design and everything around those two characters also like Crowley's. Crowley's fuck. Can we talk about that? Why it's fucking what? Crowley and not Crowley? Because you said it was Crowley. Mm, yeah, but that's definitely spelled Crowley. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then yeah. they pronounce well, it. Crowley. It's like it's Alistair Crowley, right? Like it's supposed to be that. I know. Um, I don't know where that name is supposed to be. Yeah, but yeah, like his car and Aziraphale's book bookstore and everything, like everything around those two characters was just beautifully designed and yeah. perfectly in line with their characters. And yeah. yeah, they committed to that aesthetic of each character, and it like it told such a good visual story. Like they they themselves with their like their mannerisms and their characterization and their interactions, like fed into the aesthetic as well which i really love like they just like everything was just very on point there yeah even uh i was like noticing tenant like performance wise like i was recognizing beats from like his kilgrave performance like a lot of his i'm gonna lean into michael shannon's shoulder and like whisper shit in his ear like as i'm tempting him to do stuff i was like huh yeah that looks very familiar i didn't recognize him doing that (laughs) he does it very well so i'm glad they went back to it but Mm -hmm. it it was pretty good I did like appreciate the fact that he wore those contacts the whole goddamn time too. Oh yeah. Usually they digitally affect those in, but you could tell they weren't because he kept putting sunglasses on, and you would occasionally see that the lenses were still like his eyes were still affected behind the lenses, which is usually when they would like scrap that and like contrast them out kind of thing. But they didn't like he had those fucking lenses in all the time, mm-hmm. which must have sucked. Yeah, those are those big like honkers that cover the whole like eyeball yeah and then also on top of the casting i'm always a fan of michael mckeon i think he's eh. fucking like he's hilarious and or i mean he does really great dramatic work too like look at fucking better call saul so yeah yeah i loved him and his uh scottish accent was actually fucking half decent too yeah i like that he was constantly making fun of all the english people like that was basically like his character's job was to just call the british people poncy what did he call them poofs and shit like that yeah he's always calling them like derogatory con- like names and stuff yeah i found that very amusing yeah very amusing yeah, yeah. He had a very low opinion of aziraphale which he would bring up constantly <laughs> yeah and then his little beat with his neighbor which oh, man that was funny yeah <laughs> like the whole thing with her being the whore of babylon and stuff yeah was <laughs> and she, oh man and her just was, like taking it from him basically yeah, being yeah, like basically, yeah whatever yeah. <laughs> i'm used yeah. to this he was, he did that. Like that was one of the one, like one of the side roles that I was like, he's so good in this spot. I just found that he used it a little bit too much where I was like ah, a little bit less of like one episode less of that. And I would have been like completely happy, but it started to grate by the Yeah. It grated <laughs> on me a little bit too. It's just kind of like, uh, like I, it was kind of in line for Miranda Richardson's character, Madam Tracy. Yeah. But at the same time, it was like, she's like, why would she uh, like absorb all of this abuse? Why? Yeah. Like, it was just kind of like after a while, it's, 
kind of like, is she just going to tell him off at some point or is this going to be no, like, they oh, end up together? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird one for me, but I mean, Hey man, like it was written in the nineties. I'm surprised they didn't change that. I'm not, actually, I'm curious. I was hoping you were more up to date on it. So you could kind of tell me what, how much they changed in between the two. I, I guess that's not like an I, option. I did not have the opportunity to reread this and I barely remember yeah. reading it the first time. Apparently. <laughs> so it's See, like, I know I was going to start reading it and I just couldn't get into it this week. So I had to, I'll have to sit down and figure that out at some point. Cause it is going to bother me. Like, I wonder what was different. Cause I know they've like obviously time shifted it 30 years. Yeah. So, but even so, like there wasn't a lot of stuff that was reliant on like cell phones and technology and stuff like that. Like, and I think they tried to keep it. Well, I know that Gaiman's whole thing with this was that he wanted to keep it as close to the source material as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to honor the memory of Terry Pratchett and their friendship and the collaboration and everything. And to the point where I think I remember him saying, Gaiman saying in an interview that like, he will never be this involved. Like he doesn't ever want to show run anything ever again, Mm -hmm. because it was just too much. Mm -hmm. You know, he's obviously very proud of the end product and this, but it's just like, yeah, this is not something I want to put myself through again. Yeah. which I can understand. Well, no, he's a writer. Like I can understand that as a, like as a writer, like the difference between writing and directing or even like producing, like you're as a writer, you're alone working with your words. Right. Basically. Yeah. Whereas with like, you're doing that, you're like, you got to make a million decisions for other people. You can't take your time. You're constantly under fucking pressure for that kind of stuff. Like, I can see why a guy who has been as successful as a writer, as Neil Gaiman has been, and probably pretty accustomed to that lifestyle would be like, I don't want to do this insanity ever fucking again. I'm going back to my book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that being said, like based on my somewhat limited exposure to, you know, different Gaiman and Pratchett worlds and stories and that sort of thing, it felt very true to what I imagine the source material felt like. Like it, mm-hmm. you know, it felt very much like somewhere in between their two styles together to the point where I can imagine the two of them writing this together uh, originally, what, you know, the book not the series and just sort of going back and forth and trying to out clever each other and being like oh i see what you did there i like it and then but i've got this idea to one up you (laughs) and i feel like that may actually be the reason why you found that like i i can feel that in there too now that i'm thinking about it like you can definitely feel a bit of like we're having fun one up each other in the process kind of thing and maybe it resulted in a product that like comes across as too clever by about half <laughs> yeah <kind of>. so <laughs> yeah which i was fine like i don't mind that because like my jokes going over somebody's head is not something that happens or there's something that happens to me all the time so i don't mind when a joke actually hits me and i'm like oh i wonder if everybody else got that no fine good i'm happy with that. <laughs> so yeah i'm a snob i'll admit it that's the latest <laughs> but I'm fine with it. I thought overall, like so we were talking a bit about costumes and makeup and stuff. Production design overall across the board was yeah. really solid. Very few, you know, falterings in that. And the effects were used well, but I felt that they were used pretty sparingly. And when they did use them, it wasn't just for show, you know, it wasn't gratuitous. It was very much in service of the story for the most yeah. part. And there was also some really great cinematography, uh, some really beautiful, dramatic, like overhead long shots. Yeah, there's a couple good like tracking shots that I think were fake, but like looked really nice regardless. Like there's yeah. good like wraparound shots and stuff like these with people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is pretty. They did a good job shooting them like the whole yeah. thing, like from effects to like even on in camera stuff. Everything looked really nice. So they obviously scouted locations oh, like, yeah. crazy to get those everything looking as pretty. And they, I think I remember them saying they spent a good chunk of money like 
hiring production teams in other places to shoot quality local footage and stuff too. So like they would send the actors and hire a good team. Mm-hmm. That was how they kind of did it. It's like they, I think they did a lot of location shooting for some of this yeah. stuff. The one shot that really stuck in my head was Michael McKeon's character in that last episode, walking out of his apartment and through the hallway and into mm-hmm. Madame Tracy's apartment. Like that was just a really nice, I don't know. Again, I don't know if it was really all done in one shot or not, but it definitely, I think that one, it could that have one been. Yeah. Like it was, so so. Mm-hmm. that one really stuck out in my head. I was just, one of was one of those moments throughout where it almost takes you out. You're like, wow, technically that was really cool that you're not even really paying yeah. attention to the story anymore. But yeah. Yeah. Cool. Anything else that you want to talk about that you like? In terms of positives, I think that like, it's just all of the veteran actors were bringing their a game yeah. and like they were, uh, they really leaned into the material. I can't say the same for, you know, some of the younger actors we will get into that, but I, yeah. I have to say that like, I loved John Hamm when he start when Gabriel starts to unravel near oh, the end of God. the series. It's like I love cartoony put upon dickhead John Hamm as Gabriel. Like <laughs> I don't know why somebody doesn't just cast him on a TV show and just do that all the time. He's so fucking good at that. I love it when he yeah. does that. Like every time he sh- remember Thirty Rock. Yeah, and I was thinking about Thirty Rock a lot. Because he played Michael, um, Sheen. Michael Sheen was Wesley Snipes. <laughs> Wesley mm. Snipes. Remember Wesley Snipes? <laughs> God, that was the best character. Like just so good. Yeah. Um, oh man, Thirty Rock. Yeah, John Hamm was. Yeah, that really John funny. Hamm. Um, oh, so yeah, a lot of these actors just they gave the veteran actors enough room to breathe and do their thing. Like Miranda Richardson was a joy to watch on screen. Brian Cox as Death always always a good time. Was that Brian? Uh, Cox? Yeah, it was Brian Cox. Um, because I think he did the voice for Death and the other Terry Pratchett stuff. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah where, that would be something he, they would yeah. do. Yeah, and yeah, Michael Sheen, David Tennant, Francis McDormand's narration all was just always yeah. welcome. Really enjoyed that. The guy who played Haster Nadenhi, awesome. Oh, is that Pulsifer? Like the, the no, Haster's no, 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 one of the no, demons. Haster's demons. The Haster's the demon with the frog on his head. I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was really yeah. good. I liked him in that role. Actually, he was pretty fun. Yeah. Like so befuddled by modern technology, it just made me laugh. The whole yeah, time. what's <laughs> or what's a computer or whatever? Oh asked. god, the, the the angels trying to pretend that they were human was oh, pornography. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, there were a lot of like good like little one off gags like that, and that was one of them that really yeah. worked for me. That was John Hamm, man. John Hamm just fucking crushed that out of the park for me. Ooh. I was like, just his facial expression. He's so yeah. excited to be buying pornography. I'm like, I fucking love this. Like, I yeah. just love it. It's I think so that good. was that was one time. I know I said earlier that I I hadn't laughed out loud, but I do think I laughed out loud at that at that bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That was what was the other one that really got me? Like, oh, the one she's telling about um, Crowley and his plants, where he tort- like, oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. nice plants in London yeah. because he, he verbally them. abuses them. He like tortures them. I was like, this is amazingly funny. Like, I don't know why I found that so funny, but I was like, just losing my mind laughing at him screaming at plants. I'm like, oh my god, how much fun is David Tennant right now? Just screaming at the fucking walls. Yeah. Like he's just having so much yeah. fun screaming at nothing. For yeah. Why? Why? <laughs> but there were just like. In terms of little story beats and stuff like that, there was a lot of those that might have felt a little bit disparate at times, but just worked for me as little self-contained bits, yeah. like Crowley and Aziraphale's. I, I love that whole sequence of Crowley and Aziraphale, like oh, through the ages kind of thing. I guess that was like the yes. third third episode or something like that. Like that's like my. I was gonna say that was my favorite episode of the run was just them kind of meeting each other through history and yeah. stuff, and like the bit in the, Re- the French Revolution, yeah. like. Yeah. 
Oh my! That was the best SNL skit that <laughs> wasn't on SNL ever. Like it was the funniest fucking thing I've yeah. seen. It gave me Monty Python vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say Monty Python is probably more accurate, yeah. but yeah, I was just losing and my mind. And like Noah's Ark with the unicorn running off, and yeah, <laughs> and all that. Well, you, and, at least uh, you got the one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At least yeah, you, you got, got the one. one. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fine. Yeah. Oh man, that's what I mean. Tenet just killed, just killed me every yeah. time. So like blase about almost everything that's yeah, going him. on until the end and he loses he's losing his lover and then he freaks out but yeah and, and crowley uh, listing off all the composers that were in hell as he's trying to <laughs> tempt aziraphale into subverting the apocalypse yeah. that was that was a nice little bit too mm-hmm. yeah yeah what else did i like there were some good little bits of like biting social commentary the one that stuck in my head was aziraphale saying his little comment about guns that you know angels are okay with guns oh. as long as they're held in the right hands and you know yeah. they're then they give weight to a moral argument i think yes yes <laughs> i was like that's uh that's a nice broad shot at yeah. uh your current country yeah. residence there mr well mr. there was Lawrence. a lot of those two where you know you're get you're given the impression that uh you know neither side is all good or all bad or whatever that everybody's yeah. sort of operating in the gray areas and Mm-hmm. You had a comment. Well, it was probably a negative thing, but you had a comment that I found very funny about the guy who played the ambassador. Jesus, was, uh, Nick, Nick Offerman, Offerman without the beard. That it was just it fucking freaked me out. It was unsettling. It was not right. See, I've seen him without the beard a lot. Like, so I'm used to it. Like, I feel like he shows up in stuff I watch a lot with no beard. So when I saw him, I'm like, I recognize that face, but I don't know who it is. And so you guys said who it was, and I typed him into All Google the and like, and rack, yeah. the beard. I was <laughs> like, oh shit, yeah. It, yeah, all the parks because I don't watch. I can't do Parks and Rec. Like I can't watch it. So his character doesn't care. It is a a very prominent mustache, not a beard, because oh, it sorry. is a mustache. Right. Is yeah, it a mustache? Because, <laughs> sorry, yeah. because like Ron Swanson is all mustache. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, what's this? The mustache. Right, that's right. Okay, yeah, yeah. I don't watch yeah. Parks and Rec, so I don't. Yeah, know. without the mustache, it does not look like like fucking Nick Offerman with a bare upper lip. Just looks weird to me. <laughs> it looked yeah. When I, when I finally got back and like, I watched it again last night just to kind of refresh because it's been a couple of weeks since I initially, like it came out, I basically watched it that weekend. And I was like, Tim, when Tim said that, I'm like, I don't yeah. know what you're talking about right now. Because I think I posted in their chat was like dot, dot, dot. I'm like, I have no fucking idea who that is. And he said Ron Swanson. I was like, oh, fuck. Or not Ron Swanson. What's his character's name? Yeah, Ron, yeah, Ron Swanson. Ron Swanson? Yeah. There you go. I don't fucking watch the show. I don't know. But I went and looked at him like, oh, yeah. Even I recognize him with the fucking mustache. And I don't watch that show. But without the mustache no no he just looked like that dude without a mustache yeah. who's been another step without a mustache before so <laughs> there's something i want to get paul's take on this, this is something that i found actually a little refreshing is that and it's probably because this story was originally written in 1990 that crowley and aziraphale's relationship seemed at least to me on the face of it to be just platonic friendship and I was totally, totally, I was, I was a little bit relieved about that. Like in, you know, this day and age, there's a little bit of, I could, could have seen the, you know, the money behind the show being tempted to impose some sort of romantic relationship between those two. And I'm yeah. sure that the internet has done that, has projected yeah. all sorts yes. of like 6,000 years of gay angel demon sex onto their relationship. Yeah. I've seen a lot of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like I was I was nice to see a show that was just about a couple of guys that are good friends that you know come from different backgrounds kind of thing. Yeah. Also <laughs> what human sexuality shouldn't enter into the equation regardless, <laughs> considering they're both energy <laughs> beings true. who have existed for <laughs> yeah. millennia. Yeah. So like yeah. gay straight 
who cares at that point? Yeah. That's got like how I read it. It's just two energy beings. So if they're in love, great. Cause it's not like they have anatomy to deal with. They can just be together. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> I was, they're just buddies. Yeah. I so. was wondering if they were going to go there and like, but my, my take on it is like, it's, it's easy to read into and like, I don't think that in this particular case, because in the original, it wasn't particularly canonical. And like, I would have been fine if they had ended up like as lovers at the end. But like, you could have easily like had that as your canon and it wouldn't have changed anything. So I'm fine. Like no. the way that it worked out is fine. And like the actors and I'm pretty sure Neil Gaiman too are very much pro slash fic on this like it's pretty uh, like a lot people have been doing xerophil uh crowley slash fiction for you know like I'm not a really long time now <laughs> yeah so 30 years right like the book's been yeah, out for a while it's been for a really long time so i think that they played it just to the point where like it was obviously a platonic friendship it could have been more if they wanted to go there and like as an LGBT person. I'm not representative of the whole, but my opinion is I think they did it perfectly well. And I love their relationship and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing to be honest. Like yeah. I didn't want, I, like the way that they were having dinner together at the end. I'm like, that could have been a date and I could read into that if I wanted to. And yeah. that's fine. Or you guys could just like, it's just buddies having dinner together at the Ritz. Yeah. It's just guys that have, yeah. yeah, that, I mean, that was my reading of it was, it was just guys that have been through a fucking shitload together over the years and yeah. enjoy yeah. each other's company. They honestly love each other, but that doesn't have to be romantic love. Like, yeah, it, exactly. They're, Plutonic yeah. Love. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Blake. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> I've been waiting to say that. I've been waiting for that line for like the entire night. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> There you go. Let's see. I really like uh, Zerafael's like "oh fuck" moment when he is getting disincorporated after like his yes. his. It, you know, it's the trope of like the finely placed F shot kind of thing, but it yeah. it was played to great effect here. Uh, although yeah. I was pretty sad that that was followed up by his bookstore burning down. Although at least they remedied that. I did like his interaction with the lead angel guy when he got up to heaven, though, and he was like, you, "You've lost your sword and you've been discorporated." Like I said, like, <laughs> "God damn it!" Like starts freaking out on him. And I was like, "This is great. I love I love British shit like that where they have like that that put upon dude who's expecting the main character to uh, <laughs> not be a failure. Yeah, not be a failure, and he's just like, "Fuck, fuck!" But he's British, so instead of saying "fuck," he's like just stiff upper lip and kind of glaring at him. Yeah. <laughs> I find that way funny for some reason. <laughs> so a lot of those interactions were like they were. Like the other demons or the, the other angels dealing with the main two, and they're just so put upon, or like, oh my god, why am I dealing with this guy? Or like, how annoying is this guy? Or how badly do I want to kill this fucker in Crowley's case? Yeah. A lot. I just really enjoyed watching them all do that. Like, John Hamm, every time he's talking to a Zero family, he's like, I have no fucking time for this guy, but like, I kind of have to deal with him. Yeah. And I like how they're kind of underestimating them and like seeing them as just these two annoyances who've been on Earth too mm -hmm. long was like, was played to like, gone native yeah, yeah. and it, it was to their advantage until the end you know i like that but that was just a good story beat overall where it's like their humanity and their love of humanity was what drove them to be able to figure their figure shit out overall so yeah yeah, yeah. i like the little ploy at the end too those scenes where they've flopped like they've switched appearances yeah and have gone yeah. to their whatever the inverses kind of people at the end where they're kidnapped yeah i was like 
Tennant clearly was having so much fun just laying in that bath. <laughs> and I know I say this a lot, but he was clearly having way too much fucking fun during this entire shoot. Because <laughs> of him just lounging in that bath and then making Michael get him the towel, I was like, man, this is great. And that, like, this is why TV, yeah. this is why we have TV guys, so that I can watch David Tennant be a complete <laughs> asshole for five minutes. Like, so And that, I, I thought that that was written really well as well as somebody that hadn't read the book and didn't know, you know, mm-hmm. how they were playing that. I, I thought, you know, the that thought went through my head that they'd switched appearances or something, or that, you know, both of them had just become so far detached from their roots yeah. that, you know, they weren't affected by their traditional weaknesses or whatever anymore. And yeah, I had the same thought, actually. I guess, honestly, yeah, honestly, we don't really know if that's not the case. Maybe they just played it safe by switching, but it's entirely yeah. possible that Crowley might not be you know, subject to so evil that he would get killed by. Holy yeah, Water yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, and vice versa that, that, uh, zero fail is still so pure that hellfire would kill him. And yeah, but yeah. And I, one thing I found about tenant as well, that was surprising was how convincing a nanny he made to, a- to oh, Adam yeah. <laughs> or no, to the wrong kid, not to Adam warlock. Yeah. Oh my God. The them naming the kids. I was like, <laughs> Like suggesting names, like what was the first one? They were like Damien. Yeah. He's like, well, I think it's yeah. more traditional or some shit like that. I was like, oh my god, this is so good. <laughs> well, that whole baby mix-up thing, like you know, we kind of like jumped into the middle here. We didn't really talk yeah. about the start, but that whole thing, like I was just like, wow, this is so Shakespearean. Like this yeah. is yeah. <laughs> absolutely very much like, oh, it's just a case of mistaken identity, and yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That was I, I really like that sequence. I like the uh, Sister Mary. I can't remember her. Oh, it's Sister Loquacious. Sister oh, yeah. Mary Loquacious. Yeah, I thought she was entertaining. She I was re- really good. I recognize that actress too, but I can't remember. Yeah, I think she was on a lot of these actresses or actors, like especially the very British ones. I was like, these are Doctor Who. Yeah, people. she's Must definitely people. been yeah, on yeah. Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah, she's been on Doctor Who. Uh, I think she was on Doctor Who the year like in Capaldi. Sorry, he was. She. I think she was in one of Capaldi's seasons. I recognized her from like something recent. And I haven't gotten through enough of the Jodie Whittaker stuff for it to have been that stuff. But I knew it was Doctor Who. So. Mm. Uh, anything else? What else did I like? Do you know what I, I did like? I didn't really care for the Four Horsemen overall, but I loved the delivery guy. Like, I just yeah. enjoyed that little riff he had going in there and just kind of like being affable British like dude. Yeah. And just shooting the shit and like delivering the stuff to like basically the worst entities in the universe kind of thing. Yeah. And just being super cash about it. I was like, this is great. Yeah. I love super cash British people. He had a... Even though it was sad, it was like a nice complete arc. Like he yeah. was there. Yeah, he had to die to deliver the last one to death. <laughs> to death, yeah. yeah. It was a good payoff. It's a good setup and good payoff for Mr. Delivery Guy. Yeah. So I enjoyed the delivery yeah. guy. I just wanted to shout him out because whatever. And I did like while we're talking about the four horsemen, the introduction to famine where they had like the non nutritional food like that yeah <laughs> that yeah. was a good that was a good bit that was so much a doctor who bit yeah. though yeah for some reason like, that struck me as like i was like man am i did this fucking flip scripts <laughs> am i watching a jody whittaker episode that i haven't seen yet because like that's what that felt like to me was that such a doctor who villain plot yeah, yeah. like non-food or whatever i'm like oh my god yeah that felt i mean i guess to be fair neil gaiman has written some doctor who so yeah and, yeah. Well, I, and I think that probably there, is wow. again in part a function of this being a Pratchett and game. And like, it does end up being very much a pastiche of styles that do not always yeah. mesh together all the time. Like you do get mm-hmm. tonal yeah. whiplash sometimes where you're like, Oh look, we're in this really heavy dramatic scene. And now we're into this really light and whimsical guy that just happened upon a witch kind of thing. And now is yeah, falling yeah. in love with her. And yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Can we start getting into the negatives now? Because I think I'm ready. <laughs> we can flip sides. Not to use our other podcast aphorism, but like let's let's go to the uh, the negative. What did you guys uh, lay it on me? What did you guys not like? I'll start because uh, <laughs> I'm happy to. So just as Tim was saying, like we have a, a disparate tones depending on which group of actors we are with. And I find mm-hmm. it very strange that you would lean your most dramatic scenes on a group of child actors who don't have the most charismatic performances, except maybe the girl who played Pepper, who was annoying, but at least well acted. Yeah, she was a little over the top, but I think that might be the character, not the... Uh... Not the actress. I like yeah. I, I, But the kid who played Adam, like when he was being kind of normal kid, seemed okay but otherwise his delivery was so low energy and deadpan that i was just like whenever they were focused on the kids it like it it felt like everything was coming to a crashing halt yeah i had the same kind of thought with the kids but that's like i was trying to not be that guy because i'm always the guy who's like fucking kid actors <laughs> i can't watch this shit like yeah. i hate it so and like there is a particular flavor to bbc child acting yeah that is like ineffable, but like it's always there. And as a fan of Doctor Who, I've experienced a fuck ton of it. Yeah. So when I was watching this, I was like, oh man, it's Doctor Who kid acting. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. Like if you're in the mood for Doctor Who kid acting. Yeah. But the rest of the show felt so high budget and like well put together. And like obviously the actors are of like elite, elite caliber. And then yeah. you go to these kids and you're like, uh. And also like Anathema and Pulsifer, the uh, the witch and the witch hunter. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were like, a little. They were a little wooden too. And so like yeah. my problem with this show is that like, oh, and the four horsemen. Like, okay, here's my thing about the four horsemen. They needed at least one of those characters to be like a higher energy, quippy comedy type character. Because like yeah. they were all these like super badass slow speaking shakespearean style villains and it's like well none of them are fun like you've got all these demons like haster or beelzebub who like have like good comic timing they're interesting to watch they're funny and we got none of that from the four horsemen and their scenes just dragged so whenever like you i kept thinking like oh god like, I just want them to go back to Aziraphale and Crowley. Every single time yeah. we switch to the kids or Anathema and Pulsifer or the Four Horsemen, I'm like, let's get back to the good guy, good yeah. stuff. Especially <laughs> by the time you were getting to the Four Horsemen having lots of scenes together, like acting together. That's also by the point where, like, you're not getting that Francis McDormand narration anywhere near as much as you are in the first two episodes, kind of. Yeah. yeah. So you're like, wow, this, this all feels felt way less flat when Francis McDormand was telling me about it over top of it kind of thing. Yeah. And now it's kind of just sitting here. Let's get back to David goddamn Tennant, please. Yeah. <laughs> or at least Michael McKean, like at least put Michael McKean back on the screen so that I can watch him just be awesome and goof around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For a and little while. Judgmental and kind of crazy. Yeah. And... Kind of be crazy. Well, that's basically what Michael McKean plays when he does comedy bits. He always kind of plays that character, yeah. like befuddled and just like kind of a dick, but kind of means well but blah 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 yeah so and and he kills it and my other issue with the kids is that like the whole end sequence just fucking relies so heavily on them and so i was pretty let down by the ending of it overall it also felt pretty fucking anticlimactic to just have it be like you're not my real dad (laughs) yeah that was was a weird that was a weird pull also did um 
I remember we made a big fucking fuss about the fact that Benedict Cumberpatch was going to play the devil in this show and then had two lines. <laughs> and I didn't even recognize his voice. Shit, I just <laughs> totally forgotten that was him, too. If you listen to it back, it sounds like he's been doing Dormammu again, mm, basically. Yeah. Like he's using kind of the smoggy Dormammu voice yeah. that he does. Yeah. So I, when I went back and listened to it, watched it again last night, like the second time, I was really paying attention and was like, oh, okay. It's super processed smog voice. Yeah, so yeah. fair. I agree. Like the kids sucked and like took me out of it. But like the other two, she's super pretty. But like the other two, I really wish they'd had more scenes with the other actors involved just to kind of maybe see if they could, their performances could have got brought up a little bit. It felt like they were just working together all the time. Yeah. It was and just, never really got to do anything else. Yeah. They felt really self contained and sort of separated from yeah. everything else. And I know that there was, you know, little bits of interaction or intertwining here and there. But I was another one of those things where like, yeah, there was some cool bits in every stream, but they never ever really all meshed together kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, like a, a fantasy trope that I've seen before. And it's like, it's where like the, the person who's like most connected to the prophecy and destiny and stuff is missing out on the action. Like I've seen this happen mm-hmm. before in other fantasy stories where it's like, there's the person who is the most like seriously stuck into the mythology of the stuff, but like, yeah, the Giles or Wesley gets, character. Yeah, right? yeah. 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 And yeah. never gets his, or it's like, it never gets to or see gets any of the big stuff happen or gets knocked out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So for me, that was anathema and pulsifer. And, but like, yeah. and it, it didn't work because like they weren't, their acting just wasn't good enough for me to find them charming and their relationship. See, like she has a scene, she has a scene with Michael Sheen and like when she gets hit by the car. Yeah. Where she felt way more engaged with what was going on around her. Like she had way more chemistry going on. I was like, Oh man, she was much more interesting at this point. And even with the kids, like she seemed more interested, but like she had no chemistry with him, I guess. Yeah. Maybe was the problem. And like, None of, like when they have their sex scene, I was like, man, this is the most awkward shit <laughs> yeah. I've ever seen in my yeah. goddamn life. Like, <laughs> and I've watched Gail on Letterkenny thrust her fucking pelvis at the camera for 15 <laughs> minutes at a time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. whoo. That's aw- it was awkward, awkward. So, yeah, I felt bad for kind of felt bad for both of them because I think he's probably that's probably one of his first roles. So, yeah, shitty. And like, I don't know. She, I thought she would have been better if she'd been put across from somebody who could have kept her energy up a little bit more, but. You know, yeah. What are you going to do? She's gorgeous, so she's going to find work again. That yeah. much I have a lot of faith in. So I just also want to point out the whole like "you're not my dad" thing. Like it, just, <laughs> it just brought it brought me to um, a, a line off of RuPaul's Drag Race where they have to create these like um, doll characters, and uh, one of the characters is called Little Pound Cake, and she has a tagline, and it is "You're not my dad, and you never will be." And that's her. <laughs> And I just kept going back to that in my head, like this. <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh no!" It's like every time he said, "You're not my dad," and you never will be. <laughs> I was trying to remember because there is another like, "You're not my dad." That's very famous, and it kind of stuck. It was like I think it was South Park where like Cartman's yelling at somebody about it, and I was like, "You're not." Yeah, I'm having flashbacks to this more. Yeah, because like, it's a, Jerry, bit, it's a Jerry I'm, Springer yeah. or Maury Povich thing or something like that. Yeah, it's, yeah. From, it's from yeah. So that's where it took me. And I was yeah. just like, "Oh God, this is this is not what the uh, I it was think painful what they intended." Yeah. yeah, yeah. And on top of that, like we get through that. And then, like, this is coming from somebody that watches the Lord of the Rings movies a lot, but holy hell, this had a lot of endings. I was going to say, this had a Return of the King ending for a, for a fucking six-episode miniseries. Yeah. <laughs> well, novel, it, it technically had, like, an epilogue. Like, it had a novel ending, right? Yeah. Like, it had that well, nice had, like, long, like, Neil Gaiman epilogues. kind of... 
Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna tell you the details of all of their lives before you get to leave these characters, and I'm never gonna write these fuckers again. Yeah. So this is all you're getting. So <laughs> I don't mind it in his books because, like, I know I'm never gonna get these characters ever again. So I like that little minute where you're like, it's like what I bitch about in Star Trek, where like I like that minute at the beginning of the episode where nothing like the Romulans haven't shown up yet or whatever, mm-hmm. like insanity hasn't started, and you just get to hang out. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, like in a novel, when you do it at the end, I like that because you get the feel of like. Oh, these are these characters getting back to real life. So it's it's very much like a, a book thing that they just translated right across. I'm wondering how, like, I want to read this a lot now just to kind of see how one to one it was. Because yeah. I started the Audible book this week, and like the first like say hour of it, I was like, this is this exactly what Francis McDormand just read to me on the <laughs> TV show. Like, I don't know why I'm listening to this. Mm-hmm. There's just minor differences and some stuff's abridged and stuff, but like for the most part, it's pretty spot on. And I was like, huh. I wonder if this tracks through the whole thing. Obviously, I haven't finished the book to know, but yeah. I think that we'll might be. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd like. I'd be interested to know that too, because I think one of the reasons that I dislike it is like the choice of adaptation of keeping the characters more separate and and then doing the casting the way that they did. I'm sure that having the four horsemen being super serious and Shakespearean, kind of like the the witches in Macbeth or something like that, yeah. would work well on page. But yeah. on green, it was just like without the delivery guy, it was like charisma yeah. black hole the entire. I'm wondering about like the Pulsifer and the kids stuff in the book. Like if it's just Neil Gaiman slash Terry Pratchett's snappy prose, like I'm wondering if that's going to sit a little better with me than it did Ooh. having to watch these actors kind of thing. Like if that, if the whole scenario will yeah. like embed yeah. itself better with me than mm-hmm. having watched this adaptation oh. of it. Cause I'm going to be able to, you know, read it and my own little spin on it so yeah because they the ending uh, like particularly i think it was episode four where adam is freaking out and making his friend's mouths disappear and controlling their their actions and stuff like that that's doctor who special effects right there yeah Yeah, and went on so long holy shit i was just like should i skip through this I'm really oh. tempted to skip through this part. <laughs> I, I was <laughs> getting I a didn't... real, I was getting a real strong uh, Ghostbusters vibe off all that. The whole like, choose the form of your destructor because like yeah. anything that he imagines, you know, is becomes the apocalypse or whatever. Yeah, he did have the big glowing red eyes too for a couple shots. So yeah. I guess that that's <laughs> that tracks with all the demons in that movie too. So. <laughs> And awesome. What else is there to bitch about in here? I don't really have anything else to bitch about. What about you guys? You guys have anything else you want to get to before we get the fuck, give closing thoughts and get out of here? Well, this isn't really something I would bitch about, but that the, I'm sure as like in the opening minutes of the first episode, as soon as any Christian saw black Adam and Eve, they were like, fuck this. I'm out. I didn't even think about that, man. (laughs) I fuck. I'm so down, like just outside, like thinking about shit like that anymore that when I showed it, I'm like, Oh, that makes sense to me actually more than anything else. So in fact, I bet like, all those people that are begging Netflix to cancel a limited series that's already done were probably yeah. people that got through the first two minutes and saw Black Adam and Eve. Like that Venn diagram is a circle, is what I'm yeah. saying. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that makes sense. Yeah, because I didn't even think about that. <laughs> all right, fair. Cool. Uh, let's let's final thoughts. Like, would you recommend this to other people? What would you give it as a, a numbered score? So we'll start over. Start with Tim. Like you said, I was amused by it. I had definitely more fun with it than there was stuff that sort of took me out of it. I don't know. At a 10, let's say, yeah, I'll give it an 8 out of 10. It was good. It, sure. and, and and I'm also weighting that up a little bit, knowing that this is not the kind of thing I, it's not my usual fare type thing. Yeah. So I, I probably am, you know, would 
deduct in my own head for that. So I'm waiting back up a little bit for that. But like I said, amusing, clever, sometimes to the point of being self-indulgently so. But uh, definitely, if you hear, you know, oh my God, Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman did something together and that gets you going, then you will enjoy it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Paul? I also would give it an 8 out of 10. I think that just based on the strength of the main cast alone, especially like the lead actors in this series, I would recommend it because they are a delight to watch every time they're on screen, either separately or together. They have, Mm -hmm. they're just, Michael Sheen and David Tennant give amazing performance. They are eminently watchable. And a lot of other actors on the show give it their all and do a really great job too. And I think the positives far outweigh the negatives on this. And like, I, it wasn't the most exciting six episode run, like miniseries that I've seen, but it was fun. And I would definitely say like, Hey, you're looking for something to distract you for like an afternoon binge watch or like just something that's like a little bit whimsical and fun. And like, even though the subject matter is the apocalypse doesn't take itself too seriously. Good omens for you. Enjoy. So, yeah. Agreed. Yeah, for me, I'm basically kind of in the same wheelhouse as you. I'm a little bit higher on it than I think you guys are. So I'm going to go like nine, just nine on it. I get a little bit. It's the camp isn't too much for me based on it being a Neil Gaiman, basically a Neil Gaiman Doctor Who episode. So I was kind of fine with the overall tone of it. And that was basically what I was expecting was British kind of levity embedded in like an apocalyptic scenario. So it's just going to be them like the blackest black humor you can possibly find which is what I wanted. So it worked really well for me. Just those kid actors take that point off, man. And like, it's always the fucking kid actors <laughs> that really jank shit up for me. Yeah. So that's it. I, yeah, I highly recommend this. Like it's so short and self-contained that I really, you're going to complain about losing six hours. You're going to be so entertained by David Tennant. Yeah. Alone that it's worth your six hours. And Michael Sheen, both of them are so good. Yo, I mean, both of them. Absolutely. Yeah. Michael Sheen. And then, like those little bits, like my, uh, Francis McDormand and John Hamm's bits are just, fucking fantastic so mm-hmm. yeah i would go out and i'd go out and watch this and i'd recommend it to i've been recommending it to people just that i've been having conversations with because i enjoyed just watching tenant and sheen basically just riff together yeah. for six hours so yeah i have no like, i have no regrets about watching it uh like i said it is pretty self-contained and it, it that was actually really refreshing for me too was like hey mm. here's a fucking series that i can sit down and watch the whole thing in an afternoon i don't have to commit to because all our listeners know that if I start watching something, odds are I'm going to fucking finish it, no matter how yeah. shitty it gets or how many how long it gets drug out. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I will finish it. So knowing that I was getting into this and that the maximum commitment was like what six, six yeah, like five and a half, six hours, something like that was yeah. was a nice little break. <laughs> yeah, and it was. It's also like it's it's a bit lighter fare than what we've been getting the last little while. Like I mean, yeah. feel like since Endgame, we've been getting some like. <laughs> I mean, they've been good, fun movies, but like they're fucking depressing as shit too. Like it's just action; everybody's dying and stuff. So it's nice to just kind of be like, "Yes, we're having an apocalypse and everybody's dying," but it's just a giant joke to everybody. Yeah, mm-hmm. like the tone of it is so completely offset of what it actually is about that I don't know. It worked for me. So cool. I'm glad we uh, actually got to sit down and review this one because I wasn't sure if we would all watch it or not. Yeah, but I'm glad we did because it was very amusing. I'll watch David Tennant do basically good anyway. conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's do geek cred for the week, and then uh, we'll get out of here, get out of everybody's ears for the week. So let's start with uh, we'll start with Paul this time. Uh, What's your geek cred for the week? Uh, my geek cred for the week. So on top of my uh, Final Fantasy binge 
this week, I also downloaded the Castlevania collection. And Oh, yes. Because, you know, Bloodstained is coming out, and yep. the Castlevania collection doesn't have Symphony of the Night on it, but it has a lot of the classic Castlevania stuff. And There's another you, collection you can get with Symphony and Rondo. You should have yeah. bought that. Yeah, ago. well, I've got that for PlayStation 4, but I was thinking about the Switch, because I really want oh. I really want Symphony of the Night on the Switch. I, because Actually, I, that, be I didn't even think about that. You can get Castlevania Adventure on Switch now? Uh, the Castlevania collection? Yeah. Yeah. The, that oh. all of that is on the switch so if you oh, okay. yeah if you like old school you know challenge like castlevania Fuck, yeah they, they, st- they still hold up they're weird as hell and uh simon's quest is still like bizarre but i still love the shit out of it i was thinking about playing that again like i wanted to get that collection just so i could try that one again yeah it's been so long since i played it that i'm super curious to like dig back in yeah, weird to see that series progress and into what it became, but yeah. it's pretty cool. So, like, if you're into difficult video games, Nintendo classics in general, and definitely one with a horror vibe, go to Castlevania Collection because it's good. Yeah, I agree with that sentiment because Castlevania is awesome, and I'm actually I I bought it. I haven't actually booted it up to really play it too much like pick that beginning of castlevania one and three because those are the ones that i always pick at first when i get my hands on those games Um, and castlevania four is like an annual playthrough for me so i will definitely be getting into that sooner rather than later tim what are you uh recommending for everybody this week let's see mine is probably a little off the beaten path i don't think it's i don't know if it's one i've done geek cred on before uh it's not on my list anyways but it's Something that's going to be very niche, uh, as our listeners know, I am kind of a theme parks nerd, and there's a magazine uh, that comes out quarterly that is the only magazine I subscribe to still, and I actually get like hard copies of. Oh, I miss magazines, man. Like, I, <laughs> I, that's a weird thing, but like, I, I mean, I'm a print designer, so like, I used to want to work on magazines, and then they just they went away before I got a chance to ever do anything professionally. Yeah. So I always was like, I like doing like, like magazine editorial layout, and I never really got a chance to do it professionally. Yeah. But I miss like looking at it because it's always like the best design if it was a good, you know, a good magazine anyway. Yeah. So this one is called Attractions Magazine. I think it's like a $20 subscription a year. And it always has like really good articles on like new lands or new attractions and stuff that open up. They're based in Orlando. So they used to just cover kind of the Orlando theme parks, but now they cover globally. Like they'll send people. I mean, they get like press trips and stuff like that, right? So like they'll uh, send people to, you know, Disneyland in California or like to international parks and stuff like that to get coverage. Um, And they have a really good YouTube channel as well that is, you know, a lot of fun. Like if you're like, hey, what does Star Wars Galaxy's Edge look like? Or what does that new Hagrid roller coaster at Universal Studios look like? And that sort of thing. It's uh, fun for that kind of stuff. So Attractions Magazine and their YouTube channel is my geek cred this week. Nice. Yeah. Magazines. I miss them. <laughs> okay. So for me this week, I've been watching a lot of TV, um, been doing a lot of drawing. So the TV's on in the background and I got through Jessica Jones season three, which I'm assuming we'll probably talk about at some point in the not too distant future. I'm nine episodes in. We'll see. Almost yeah. Done. Let's see when the, how quickly the boys got through, get through it. But I watched something else this week that I was super fucking high on. I watched DC's doom patrol this week. And <laughs> It was like my favorite TV show that I've seen this year. It blew my fucking mind. It was so good. It is fucking batshit insane. Exactly. But it's exactly my kind of insane. Like think about the comics I read and then think about that show. And it's like, wow, that's one to one. That's basically a Mark show. 
it's <laughs> like the donkey in the first episode. I was like, holy fuck, this is genius. I love this. Like, it's so irreverent. Brendan Fraser just cursing up a fucking storm. Everybody's swearing like fucking sailors. And you got, honestly, man, Tudic is the <laughs> goddamn king. He's so fucking good as Mr. Nobody. Like, oh, he's just chewing up the goddamn oh. scenery. And he's doing all the fourth wall breaks and shit. And I'm like, this is so fucking great. Like, I'm just having yeah. such a good time watching this that I don't care that I can't put this in front of any normal person ever because they're going to be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> this show is insane. It is. But if you're a, like a fan of comic book crazy, like if you're a Warren Ellis, Grant Morrison, kind of Neil Gaiman, Alan Moore guy, like you like that vertigo shit that we were talking about earlier. This is a show you have to watch. Like it is DC insanity. Plus, they mm-hmm. take lots of nice little pot shots at the Justice League guys because Cyborg's in there. They're always taking shit shots at like Batman and Superman and stuff. Made me laugh my yeah. ass off. I was dying. So, if you have the means, get into Doom Patrol. Like, amazing TV. So, yeah, I actually you guys have to watch it. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I, I want to. Yeah, I'd like to do Done. an episode on that. I watched the point. whole fucking thing. I watched all of it like in two days. I was so yeah. hooked. I loved it. So. <laughs> yeah, next time, like, if Paul doesn't want to watch it or if he gets into it, we should totally do an episode on it. We do, like do a two hander or something because, yeah, man, that show was, it was fun. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, everybody, thank you for listening to this week's Dance Robot Dance. If you haven't already, you can subscribe via whichever podcatching app you prefer uh, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'd love to hear your thoughts on Good Omens or any of the news we covered today. You can do so by dropping us a line on Facebook at facebook.com slash dance robot dance podcast. On Twitter at DRD underscore podcast, or you can just email us at dancerobotdancepodcast at gmail.com. So that's the end of this week's episode. I've been Mark. I'm saying goodnight. Paul, say goodnight. Goodnight. Tim, say goodnight. We'll see you in hell, listeners. Yeah, that'll most likely be there. I mean, you've got to figure, like, the musicians at the very least are going to be more interesting in hell. This is true. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, guys, like, Kurt Cobain didn't go to heaven. I don't think suicide's <laughs> go to heaven. So Jesus. Like, also, Chris Cornell, then. So, yeah. where do bad <laughs> folks go when they die? Yeah. I, as long as I get to hang out with them, I'm fine. So, that's uh, the end of the episode this week. We're ending it on a depressing note. <laughs> yeah. You're not my real dad. Yeah, and you never course. will be. <laughs> and then Benedict Cumberpatch says something like, Fucking what? completely un- unintelligible, <laughs> and then yeah, come to daddy. <laughs> Jesus. Phrasing? That's a that's all of us have had a freezing warning this week. <laughs> so there you go. We're out of here. Have a good one, guys. Hi there, and welcome to a special reading of a dance robot dance fan fiction, brought to you by Blake. This is fuck robot. Two shots of gin. None of that bottom shelf crap. Bloom London dry on ice. Two teaspoons of fine sugar. Two large egg whites. Two tablespoons of lemon juice. Fuck the lemon zest. Garnishes are for bitches. Tim takes a long sip. Slow, lingering. The glass resting on his bottom lip for just a moment. He inhales the sweetness, blocking the haze of smoke. How stoned are you? Not stoned enough to enjoy this, but I'm getting there, Mark says with his signature disdain.
Tim has just moved back to Canada, and after so many years away, he had a lot of comic books to organize. Mark had spent the morning building custom shelves in Tim's new basement as a homecoming present. The work was hard, and the oppressive heat of the summer had seeped into the basement. Mark's shirt was off, and his hairy chest glistened with sweat. Now that Tim had finished carrying in all the long boxes, it was time for the two of them to organize and put them away. Mark asked, So do we start with A and just do this alphabetically? Tim looked at him whimsically. Well, yeah, but DC Comics goes first and then Marvel after that. Mark could feel his blood pressure rise. Save the best for last, he quipped. Why don't we just pitch all that DC crap and save us both a lot of time? Tim paced the room, the heat of the day making him feel more aggressive. Just because you're so tall and imposing, you think you can be a dick. I might be short, but I can look tough, too. With that, he pulled his shirt off and flexed. With a scoff, Mark rolled his eyes. You might have some muscles, but I'm not impressed. You're still just a small man. Tim wasn't about to back down. I may not be tall, but I'm not small. He unbuttoned his pants and let them fall to the floor. His eyes wide, Mark stepped forward and grabbed Tim around his girth. Not small at all. With a smile, Tim ran his fingers through Mark's hair and grasped it tightly. I'm going to just show you how big I am, and I'm going to wear a pair of vampire fangs while I do it. He paused, then added, Siri. Play Pearl Jam. They fell to the ground in a pile of clothes and comic books, Marvel and DC finally together. Then Paul and Christy walked in. This has been a dramatic reading of Fuck Robot Fuck by Blake, a dance robot dance fan fiction. <laughs>